I am Taylor Burgess, lead pastor of Cross Community, and I want to welcome you to worship with Cross Community Church Online. Uh, really glad that you've chosen to join in with us today, and there's several things that we want to be able to highlight as we begin our time together this weekend. Uh, first, if you're watching this on Facebook, there's several resources that we've linked to this video so that we can better serve and assist you and stay in communication with you. The first thing we've linked is our online Next Steps card. This is important because it's the number one way we stay connected to our church family. So if you have prayer requests or you have uh, any interest in getting more connected at Cross Community, just fill out that Next Steps card. Our staff will follow up with you throughout the course of the week. We've also linked a COVID-19 impact form. If you or your family have been negatively or adversely impacted by COVID-19 in any way, uh, we're here and ready to serve you. So if you'll take just a moment, uh, share the details of your circumstances with us. And again, our staff will follow up with you throughout the course of the week, and we'll do everything that we can to come alongside you and help. Uh, to this video, we've also linked resources for kids ministry and student ministry. So make sure you check out our Cross Kids Facebook page and website to be able to find uh, resources for family worship from home for kids from pre-K to elementary age. And also our student ministry page is linked here so that you can learn how to get connected as a sixth through 12th grade student with either middle school or high school Zoom calls as our student ministry meets online throughout COVID-19. The last thing we've linked is online giving. We are incredibly grateful for your continued faithful generosity uh, as a church family. We're gonna share some wins about that today at the end of our service time together. Um, but thank you so much for how you've continued to faithfully give through this season so that we can meet the needs of our church family, of our community, and continue forward in our mission to preach the gospel and make disciples. We're so glad to have you joining in with us this weekend. We look forward to worshiping with you today. Guys, thank you so much for joining us uh, here for worship today, wherever you are. Uh, before we begin, um, I'd just like to spend a, a moment um, before the Lord just acknowledging where we are. Uh, we live in a broken world. God designed it perfectly, but sin entered in, and now uh, we have to deal with that. And so we're going to read uh, Psalm 77. Uh, you can just read this quietly with me. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out with wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then, then my spirit will make uh, a diligent search, diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever? and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty, de mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? And pray with me. Father God, Scripture tells us that creation groans with labor pains, waiting for healing and redemption, and that your spirit groans alongside us. We don't know how to pray. There are not words to express all that we feel. 
Yet we hold on to the promise that you are with us and we bring all that we are before you. We pray, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Loving God, we gather in worship offering our praise, yet also acknowledging there is pain and suffering in our world. In whatever situation we may find ourselves, you graciously welcome us into your presence. We pray, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Held in your spirit, we admit that it is not always easy to sing these words. And there are times when we can't even sing them. While we yearn to trust in your promise, we have seen and experienced the reality of this fallen world, so much so that our voices fall silent. We pray, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. In all manner of things, when praises rise from our lips to moments when pain steals our voice, your love endures and sustains. Give us faith to trust in your love and hope in your word that you are greater than the broken world in which we live. We pray, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. Light of 
over my chains I'm a prisoner no more My shame was a ransom He faithfully bore He canceled my debt And he called me his friend When death was arrested Am I You have me. 
we just like for you to take a moment wherever you are. Maybe you're in your living room, around a dining table maybe. Maybe you're at your desk at work. Uh, but just take a moment and pull out your Bible uh, to John 6, verses 32 through 35. And just take a moment and read these uh, scriptures and pray. And pray in a way that you uh, say to God that you expect Him to move in your, in your life, in your heart today, to open your eyes to who He says He is. I would invite you to turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 6 if you're not there already. And uh, it's really good to be back with you this weekend after a couple of weeks off. I want to say thank you right off the bat to Dave Eatman and to Dustin Nally for sharing messages with us uh, in our church family over the last couple of weeks. There's a lot that's been happening behind the scenes with our church that I, I want to be able to share about with you today. And I'm going to do that at the end of our time together. So uh, this isn't like a real church. You can't duck out early uh, at the very end. You could without us seeing you, but you shouldn't because we have some important stuff that we want to talk about today. So uh, at the end of our final song, make sure you stick around because we got several big things uh, that we want to highlight during our time together. But uh, today we're beginning a new message series in the Gospel of John titled, I Am. Seven different times throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus makes an extraordinary claim about who he is. And this is important because 
Jesus Christ is the most influential and also the most controversial human being who has ever lived. And if you ask 10 different people to tell you who Jesus was, there's a very good chance that you'd get 11 different responses. Maybe there's a possibility you're watching today and you wouldn't necessarily consider yourself a believer or a follower of Jesus or all that interested in church. And some of your reasoning behind that might be that you just see how hypocritical Christians are. You see how corrupt religion has been, or you just generally see people who profess to be Christians not be good examples of who Jesus is. And, and as, uh, as negative as that can be, and as much of a push away as that can be from the church, our invitation to you this week and the next several weeks is to simply listen to who Jesus is in his own words. So that's what we're gonna do today, beginning in John chapter six, where Jesus makes the claim, I am the bread of life. And several weeks ago, when all of the uh, effects of COVID-19 were really beginning to be felt, there were a number of staples that you would normally find at the grocery store that were in short supply. You know, we've, we've come to this place where uh, toilet paper can now only be found on the black markets, and uh, we're hoarding hand sanitizer as if it's the cure for cancer. And apparently we've all become like Gaston and Beauty of the Beast eating dozens of eggs every single day because you can't find them anywhere. And one of the main staples that was missing for several days, at least as I looked early on, was bread. And I don't know about your family, but in our family, this creates a bit of a crisis because uh, we have three small boys who are seven, five, and three, and that's a whole lot of PB&Js that we cycle through as a family every single week, and sometimes several a day, and that's just the little one. Like, that doesn't even include the, the two biggest ones. And, and anytime bread is missing, it indicates that there's probably some sort of crisis at hand. Anytime there's an emergency or there's a national disaster, one of the very first things to clear off of the shelves is bread. And when we get to John chapter six, before we jump into verse 22, which is where we're gonna start today, there's a picture we need to see earlier in John chapter six that involves Jesus and a large crowd and a shortage of bread. So early on, John six, Jesus has been teaching a large crowd for a while throughout the day, and it's getting towards the end of the day. People are getting tired, people are getting hungry. And he asks his disciples a little bit of a trick question. He says, where can we get bread to feed this crowd? And so his disciples hear this and, and they, they hear this request and they look at the size of the crowd that's in front of him. And so he asked this to Philip in John 6, 5. And this is a bit of a trick question because Jesus knows what's about to happen. But he wants them in this moment to be confronted with their inadequacy and their inability in light of what it is that they're being asked to do. So Philip, who is one of his disciples, he responds to Jesus almost sarcastically. He says, says 200 denarii, which is like the equivalent of eight months wages. He was like, that wouldn't even be enough to feed this crowd. But uh, Andrew finds a boy who has five loaves of bread and two fish. And for those of us who know the story, it's pretty simple. Jesus takes this first century Lunchable and he just blows it up. And he feeds a whole crowd, scripture tells us, of, of 5,000 men. That doesn't uh, account for the women and the children. So maybe as many as 20,000 people who are fed through the work of Jesus. And after the crowd sees the miracle, they hail Jesus as the prophet who's come into the world. Now, Deuteronomy 18.15 had predicted that there would be a final prophet like Moses who would come to speak the word of the Lord. So this crowd believes that Jesus is that prophet, so much to the extent that they want to forcibly take him and make them their king. But Jesus doesn't want anything to do with this, and ultimately he departs and goes up to the mountain by himself. Because while Jesus had come to be their Messiah, their Savior, what the people in the first century were expecting was someone to come and lead a political revolution. 
someone who was going to lead them in a military conquest. But Jesus had made clear, and he goes on to make clear John 18, 35, that his kingdom was not of this world. Jesus had come for an entirely different reason than all of our superficial desires. And it's important that we understand that this crowd did not see and understand the true nature of his coming. So that same night, it's getting late and Jesus and his disciples uh, get back in the boat to go across the sea or his disciples get back in the boat to uh, go back across the sea to Capernaum. This had become uh, their base of ministry operations. And so it gets dark and uh, the wind starts to blow and the waves start to get a little bit heavy. They get about three, four miles out to sea. And, And as the disciples are out on the sea, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. And, and this scares them. Other gospel accounts, we see that they thought he was actually a ghost. And that's, you might think that's crazy, but let's think about this for a second. Person, human being walking on water, like that's unusual, right? And so they're a little bit confused about what's happening, but Jesus comforts them by saying, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, now one of the most popular names that we see of God in all of scripture is found in Exodus 3, where God introduces himself to Moses as the one who simply is, I am. And this word I am, this phrase I am in the Greek, it can be translated one of two different ways. It can be translated simply a me or ego a me, and both are very accurate renderings of the word. But the second translation, ego a me, is an intensified version that reflects how God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 3, which is simply as I am. And so if you look at this same story of Jesus walking in the water in Mark's gospel, when Jesus speaks to his disciples from the water, Mark records that Jesus says to them, take heart, it is I. And as you look in the original language, it's not take heart, a me, it's take heart, a go, a me. There's no perfect formal equivalent for this in, langu- in, in the English language. So where you and I read, take heart, it is I, or it is I, do not be afraid. What the disciples actually heard was take heart, I am. And this is so important because John records this here before we get into any of these I am statements of Jesus throughout the gospel of John. All throughout the gospel of John, this is what we hear Jesus saying of himself, that he's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the door of the sheep. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way and the truth and the life. He's the true vine. And he is all of these things because he also is simply the God who is. He is the great I am. And because of this, we're going to see today that Jesus is the bread of life who's come to satisfy the eternal hunger of our souls. But unlike our supply, his is inexhaustible and it never runs out. So let's read from his word together. uh, John 6 verses uh, 22 through 25. So this is after everything that's taken place. It says, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So the next day that the crowd goes looking for Jesus because they know that he hadn't gotten into the boat with his disciples the night before. They can't find him. So eventually they just decide to get in boats themselves and go across the water to find Jesus. And they find him in Capernaum, uh, not knowing that he had just taken a casual stroll across the sea uh, the night before. And so when they do get to Capernaum, they find him. They're like, how in the world did you get here? 
that they're, they're baffled and, and trying to figure out how he's got it. And it's amazing that, that as you look at them, ask this question, Jesus doesn't give them an answer of how he got there. He doesn't tell them that he walked on the water to get from one side of the sea to the other. I mean, if, if they thought it was amazing that he had fed this massive crowd the day before, how much more amazed would they be to hear that he'd walked on the water? In first century Jewish culture, this was a feat that was thought to could only be done by God himself. This is what we find in Psalm 77, 19. It says of the Lord, your way was through the sea, your path, the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Jesus knew that they knew that only God could do that, yet he doesn't tell them how he got there. Instead, this is what he says to them in verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The tragedy that's taking place here is that this crowd was not coming to Jesus for who he was. They were coming to Jesus for what he had. They weren't coming to him because he was a great giver. They were coming to him because of the gift that he offered. Their pursuit of Jesus was purely materialistic and physical, and he calls them out for it. But even in calling them out for it, this is what he invites them into in verses 27 through 29. He says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So he challenges them because of their materialistic pursuit, but then he invites them to not settle for anything less than everything that he is because he is the bread of life. And we see first from this passage that he eternally satisfies He brings eternal satisfaction. Jesus is not like the food that perishes. Jesus is the food that endures to eternal life. You know, I think one of the great tragedies of the people of God all across the centuries is that we settle for so much less than what he wants to give us. You and I have been invited into relationship and communion with the all-satisfying God and creator of the universe. And Lord, help us, we pray for parking spots. We pray for nice weather so that we can go to the beach. We pray empty, superficial prayers right before we eat our burger and fries. But we settle for so much less. And I I just have to believe that it insults God when we come to him asking for less than what it is he wants to give. So so man, if if we want to pray a, a bold prayer that honors the Lord, you want to pray a bold prayer of faith that honors the Lord, pray this, Lord, I don't want anything less than everything you have for me. This is what honors him. This is where we're gonna find our satisfaction. It's when we're seeking everything that he's offered us in Christ. We're not gonna find it anywhere else. Nothing in this world is gonna bring us this type of satisfaction. C.S. Lewis, who, who once in a reflection said, I have not found a cup of tea big enough or a book that is long enough. And what he was trying to express in that is that no matter how satisfying he found a cup of tea to be, or or no matter how enjoyable he found a book to be, it was still never enough. He always wanted to come back for more. For for me personally, I really enjoy drinking coffee and I'm a movie junkie. I love to watch movies. And and so, you know, this morning uh, I woke up and I had two really good cups of coffee. And I say two cups of coffee, my mugs of coffee are are debatable about whether or not it's actually a cup. So maybe more like four cups of coffee, don't judge me. Uh, but I, I love coffee. 
And I got up this morning and I had my fill of coffee. It woke me up, it did its job, I tasted it, I enjoyed it, it was great. But guess what, tomorrow morning I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna want more. And it's probably gonna happen the next day and the next day and the next day. I love to watch movies. Uh, several weeks ago, I was traveling, speaking for a ministry event, and I had a free afternoon. So I snuck away, and I watched the movie 1917. Now, I uh, have very strict criteria for movies. I won't sit down and watch just anything. And I've got a top five of movies that hasn't been cracked in a very long time. But I walked out of that movie theater and without hesitation said that it was the best movie I'd ever seen in my life. I thought from the pace of the movie to the storyline, to the score, to the cinematography, if you can't stomach a good war movie, maybe don't check it out. But if you can, I simply thought, hands down, it was a flawless movie. But guess what? I've watched a lot of other movies since then too. I've never come to, to see anything that makes me say, you know what? I don't need to watch movies anymore. I haven't had the cup of coffee that makes me say, you know what? I don't need to do that anymore. The more, in fact, that I indulge these things, the more I want to experience them. No matter how much of this world that we consume, it is never going to be enough to satisfy the eternal longing of our souls. But Jesus can. And this is what he's inviting the crowd into. This is what he tells them in verse 27. He says, so don't work for the food that perishes. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. It says here that the Father had set his seal on Jesus. A seal is something that represents validation. The Father has validated Jesus, the Son, as the one who can bring satisfaction for all eternity. And here is what's most amazing, is that he offers this food to us for free. He offers it for free. Jesus tells the crowd, don't work for the food that perishes, work for the food that endures for eternity. So the logical question that flows is here in verse 28, what do we do? What, what are the works of God that we need to be doing so that we can have this food? I mean, it's, it's a logical question, right? It's like when a brand new Chick-fil-A is open and they invite people to camp out. And they're like, hey, if you camp out, you'll get free Chick-fil-A for a year. Like, tell me what to do. Like, I want free Chick-fil-A for a year. I'll show up. So how much more bread of life that will satisfy for all eternity? What do I do to get this bread? And pay very close attention to what they ask. They ask Jesus what must we do to be doing the works of God, plural? And here's how Jesus responds, verse 29. This is the work of God, singular. And what is that work? That you believe in him whom he has sent. Because eternal satisfaction is not something we can earn. It's not something that we deserve. It's not something that we can work for. It's not something that we can attain with to-do list, checklist, religion, and churchianity. There's absolutely nothing we can do to earn this ourselves. So Jesus says your work is to believe. And this is the foundation of the message of the gospel. The invitation to Jesus is not an invitation to do. The invitation to Jesus is to have faith in what he has already done. Our faith is in his finished work. And so he invites us simply to believe. God offers us all that he is in Christ, and he offers it to us for free. And when we feast on the bread of life, we will find eternal satisfaction for the longing of our souls. Here's how the story progresses, verses 30 to 35. So they said to him, and what sign do you do 
that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true, true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus is the bread of life who eternally satisfies and second, he eternally sustains. You know, it's, it's one thing to have a meal that satisfies you for a moment. It's an entirely different thing to eat a meal that will sustain you for eternity. And this is exactly what Jesus says that he is. Just the day before, the crowd had eaten their fill of the bread and the fish until they're completely full. There were even leftovers after they were finished eating. But as satisfying as the experience was, the very next day, they're coming back for more. It still wasn't enough. And so their hunger as well as apparently produced some form of amnesia because they come to Jesus asking him to perform a sign so that they can know he's from the Father. Like that little trick he did the day before, taking a kid's meal and feeding an NBA-sized arena full of people wasn't quite enough. And it's just, it's one of those moments where, you know, you and I have this tendency, I think we, we look at uh, our life and we look at what we're experiencing and wanting to see God and experience God. And we, we say things like, man, if I could just see the Lord the way Moses did, if I could just see him the way the disciples did, the earlier followers of Jesus did, then my faith would be strong. And the consistent testimony of scripture is like, no, it wouldn't. Like over and over and over again, it doesn't matter what Jesus does. He casts out demons. He cleanses lepers. He raises people from the dead. And they're still like, hey, can you show us who you are? Still not getting it. It's never enough. The example highlighted here in John 6 is, is of a time when the people of God were wandering in the wilderness and they were hungry. They were in need of food. And so what does the Lord do? He provides them with bread. He gives them manna from heaven to sustain them and to feed them, to care for them and to provide for them. And yet what do we see as even he gives them the manna? It's still not enough. The people grumble and they complain. They're like, hey, can we just get like a little bit of meat as, as well? It's still not enough. And so Jesus is helping them to see as the father gave bread in the wilderness to sustain you physically, I am the eternal bread of life that will satisfy you eternally forever. Not like what you temporarily experienced yesterday. What we have to understand about the miracles of Jesus is that all of his miracles were intended to affirm the message. And this is important because we have this tendency as the people of God to fall in love with the outpouring of God's power. And instead of falling in love with the outpouring and the experience of God's power, we need to fall in love with the one who pours it out. And this is the tragedy of what happens here is they come to him and they want to settle for the gift and he's offering them the giver. He's offering them himself something that's gonna sustain them and carry them forever. And so as they begin to realize this, that they, they finally are coming to grips with what he's saying, they said to him, sirs, you know, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And listen to this promise. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the cup of coffee that's finally big enough. Jesus is the movie that's 
finally good enough. That's why the psalmist invites us in Psalm 34, I'll taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. We will never hunger and we will never thirst. Whatever good thing you have in your life, Jesus is better. Whatever goodness we experience in this life, it's intended to be a shadow of the greater goodness that we find in God. And yet, like so many before us, we have this tendency to fall in love with the shadow and not the object that casts the shadow. And Jesus is the one that we look to who should captivate our attention and who should ultimately be the one who captures our heart. Verse 36, we see that Jesus says to this crowd, he says, but I said to you, I, I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. This is the great tragedy of, of those who are listening to Jesus then. This is the tragedy of, of many of us even today is, is that we are content to have the gifts that God gives, but we don't pursue ultimately the one who's giving them. Instead of finding eternal sustaining satisfaction in Christ, we seek the temporary satisfaction that just leaves us hungry for more the very next day. And the temporary satisfaction of this world can never satisfy us for eternity. So we begin to convince ourselves, man, I'll find satisfaction in success. And so we taste success, but then we want more. Then we say, well, I'll find satisfaction in status. So we get some social status, we taste it, it's good, but then we still want more. I'll find satisfaction in sex. And so we find that and we get that, but then it still leaves us wanting more. We think we'll find satisfaction in stuff, in material things, but we get them and ultimately we sell them in yard sales and we get more. We think we'll find satisfaction in substances, in food and drink. And so we're satisfied for a moment, but ultimately we want more. And ultimately our satisfaction cannot be found in substances. It can't be found in status. It can't be found in stuff. It can't be found success. It can't be found in sex. It can be found in our savior. And he offers all of himself so that we can find eternal satisfaction for our soul. So Jesus cries out to us, come to me and you will never hunger again. Believe in me and you will never thirst. It's the invitation he's that's still extending at the end of scripture, Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say, come, let the one who hears say, come, and the one who is thirsty, come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Are you hungry? Is your soul thirsty? Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are you when you hunger and you thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. And he'll not only bring satisfaction, he'll bring sustainment as we experience more and more in him. And listen to what he promises as we round this out in verses 36 through 40. He says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him on the last day. So Jesus is the bread of life who eternally satisfies, he eternally sustains, and finally he eternally secures. 
You know, when uh, someone is physically at risk due to a significant deficit of food, we say that they are food insecure. The USDA defines food insecurity as a lack of consistent access to enough food for an active, healthy life. And when a pandemic strikes, the reason that people panic buy and hoard prior to an emergency is because having an adequate food supply provides us with a sense of security. And this is what we find in, in Christ. Jesus is the bread of life and he offers us an eternal security. We never have to hoard, we never have to panic buy because we never have to worry that he won't be enough. We never have to worry that we might have lack. Listen to these promises in verses 36 through 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will lose nothing. I will lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. There is an irrevocable security that comes from belonging to Jesus. You and I never have to worry that we won't have enough. Now, there's a lot of controversy that uh, surrounds verse 37, a lot of debate. These words, all the Father has given me will come to me. And so a lot of times there's a lot of fear that this generates. Might be asking ourselves, well, well, how do I know that the Father has given me to Jesus? If, if I can only come to Jesus, if the Father has given me to him, then how can I know uh, that I completely belong to him? Can I come to Jesus if the Father has not given me to him? And, and listen, don't get so focused and, and so wrapped up in debate on what these verses could mean that we actually miss what they do mean. Because this is what we find. Verse 37 makes it clear. God is absolutely sovereign in our salvation. He is the one who gives us to Jesus. And yet verse 29 makes it clear that we have a responsibility. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Mm -hmm. The sovereignty of God in our salvation does not negate human responsibility. So th there's a simple diagnostic question that you can ask to alleviate your fear of whether or not you've been given to Jesus. And it's the simple question that we find here in John 6. When you see Jesus, do you believe in him? Because if you do, then you've been given to him. And if you have been given to him, you can't be taken from him. You are always eternally, irrevocably his. Listen, the father did not give his one and only begotten son to be murdered, executed, and killed on a cross just so he could let you go. Your confidence in salvation is not your ability to hold on to him. It's his ability to hold on to you. And the good news of the gospel is that he's a whole lot better at saving than we are. We can't do this ourselves. His grace is greater than our sin. And if you are in Christ, your standing before God is as secure as Christ seated his right hand. It can never be taken from you. So you long to be satisfied. Do you long to be sustained? Do you long to be secure? Whether you are a, a follower of Jesus who's known him for uh, every day of your life or you're someone who maybe today is hearing of Jesus for the very first time, there's a very simple response, an application point for every single one of us today, and it's this. If you long to be satisfied and sustained and secure, there's one simple work for you to do and it's to believe. It's to believe that he is enough. 
is to feast on the bread of life and find that when you taste and see that he is good, everything else in this life that you could ever experience is going to pale in comparison to him. To him, we used to sing a lot when I was a kid growing up. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And what happens? The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's the invitation for you today, is to look to the Son. If you will look to Him and you believe in Him, He will never cast you out. He will never let you go. And if you come to Him today, you will find that He is enough. So Father, we thank you and we praise you for the all-satisfying gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who not only saves us, but sustains us and who secures us for all eternity. We thank you that you are so much better at saving than we are at sinning. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to escape your grasp when we belong to you. So Father, I pray now for the follower of your son, Jesus, for the brother or sister in Christ who just doubts your love for them. Will you help them to see today that if they're far from you, they've fallen from you, they're away from you, that they don't have to complete a a to-do list of religious tasks to come back to you, that their work today simply is to believe. Father, I pray for the person who, who may be watching this today who doesn't know you and who struggled to see you because of the failures of your people and because of the brokenness of your church and the corruption of religion. And I pray that today in this moment, they would be able to look through all of that and see that you are good that your goodness would be made clear to them that even now in this moment, in faith, they would look to your son, Jesus Christ, turn from their sins and believe. Father, we praise you for how these several weeks you've sustained us and you have in this moment brought us back to the place where we can be reminded that you are enough. You are enough to build your church, to sustain your church. And so, Father, we exist to advance the goodness of your name to the ends of the earth. You are the bread of life. Today, we come to you so that we will never hunger or thirst again. So will you satisfy us with your goodness, and will you be glorified now as we worship you together and sing. And we ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's sing together. Still more. Awesome. 
You're my sacrifice. You're my sacrifice of greatest price. Still more awesome than I know. You're my coming King. You are everything. Still more awesome than I know. Cause I love you. been so good uh, to worship with you today, and I just want to um, hit on a few things as we close out our, our time together. Don't forget, um, if you're watching this on Facebook, all of the resources we talked about during the announcement time are linked to the top of this post. If you're watching on Vimeo uh, at a different time, all the resources we talked about, the welcome, are available on our website uh, at crosscommunity.org. We realize there's a lot that's coming to you digitally right now, probably from work and from school and from your insurance carrier and everything else under the sun. There's some digital fatigue. Um, so, so listen, if you feel like you've missed something along the way, you're like, I don't know what's going on right now. Our staff is still working every single day. Do not hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, and we'll be glad to clarify any questions that you have. Uh, well, as we close stuff out today, there are several really big things that I want to be able to highlight for us, some things that we get to celebrate uh, and also some stuff that we just want you to be able to know about. So uh, as you can see, our state and much, a lot of our country this week is really starting to reopen and 
Uh, and so the conversation is starting to shift towards what regathering will look like. Now, uh, what we do know uh, is that, Lord willing, the YMCA will be able to reopen in a couple of weeks. But as they initially open, uh, the limited ratios and capacities they have in uh, the spaces that they that they offer to us uh, will just not be nearly enough for, for us to even begin considering uh, gathering together on Sunday morning. So uh, as far as we know right now, again, this, things are fluid. Things can change quickly. We will not uh, be gathering in person can, throughout the month of May. Uh, that we're aware of, but we'll still keep doing this every single week uh, online, and we'll continue to keep you posted. As we shared last week, um, we want to be able to go back as uh, as soon as we can, but we also uh, don't want to go back more quickly than we should, and so there's a lot of tension within that, and so we appreciate your prayers. Uh, we're seeking lots of wisdom and direction and having good conversation. We have a really good plan uh, for regathering our church. Now, we also recognize many of you, even as the church begins to regather, are not going to be able to join us in person uh, for a number of different reasons. So we just want to reassure you, uh, we are going to continue offering online content for the foreseeable future. So this is not going to go away. Um, so if that's you and you're worried, man, they're going to get back together and I'm going to be missing service, we'll still do our very best uh, to bring that to you um, digitally every single week. So just stay posted. Um, but we have uh, developed a regathering plan, are developing it behind the scenes, and we'll communicate that to you uh, as soon as the time um, comes. So uh, in terms of us being online, since uh, we, we are looking at least at a few more weeks of not being together in person, uh, we want to begin delivering a little bit more content to you spread out throughout the course of the week. So those of you who are part of our church family know that this year we've been working together through a resource called the New City Catechism, which is typically a part of our worship gatherings, but we are now going to start offering that uh, as a Tuesday five to seven minute devotional. So uh, if you missed it on Facebook this past week, the first one went out with Dustin Nally, uh, our associate pastor. That's going to be coming out on Tuesdays. If you missed it this past week, it's here on Facebook. It's online on Vimeo. Uh, check that out. That's going to be happening. We'll continue having services available on Saturdays and on Sundays. And uh, beginning this coming week, this coming Thursday, May 14th, uh, we're beginning a uh, devotional series called Rhythms of Grace, where I'm going to be teaching through the spiritual disciplines. Uh, these will be 15 to 20 minute weekly devotionals uh, about things like prayer, uh, fasting, um, how to read your Bible, uh, Sabbath, silence, solitude, disciplines that are important for our spiritual formation. Uh, so if you have any questions about those, I'm going to answer as many of those as I can during that series. Uh, Taylor at crosscommunity.org. Um, you can reach out to me. We'll make sure we cover as many as we can. Uh, big piece of news for our church family. This was um, right as everything with COVID-19 was unfolded. We got to go online and share um, that we do have a piece of property currently under contract. If you've missed the news on this, uh, we have 14 acres under contract in Port Royal. It's one Hamrick Drive is the address. Uh, but as we shared um, several weeks ago, the sale of that property is contingent on the property being rezoned. Now, uh, after some delays with everything the last few weeks, um, that rezoning process is beginning uh, over the next couple of weeks with the town of Port Royal. And so we just covet your prayers in this. Uh, we have, have seen these doors open, we believe clearly from the Lord over the last um, few months, and we have every reason to believe that this can happen uh, and should happen. So uh, we just pray uh, that the Lord will uh, make that abundantly clear to us by letting this property be rezoned um, so that the sale of that property can be finalized. So just be praying about that this week, and we'll make sure we keep you posted. On that note, uh, many of you know we, we've been in a capital campaign as a church family uh, for the last year, and listen, we've not said much about it, uh, honestly, the last couple of months. We didn't feel like in good conscience we could be making a big financial push at a time when many people were losing their jobs. And man, uh, if y'all have not just continued to faithfully give and honor your pledges and your commitments, uh, we are pushing now over $330,000 that's been given to our For the Gospel wow. campaign. And so we just absolutely celebrate that. Thank you so much for your faithfulness 
and for your generosity because you are positioning us, uh, Lord willing, if the property is rezoned, to get things moving quickly. So thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for your faithful generosity. I just challenge us uh, to continue pressing into that. The last thing is uh, also beginning of, of all of this. Uh, back at the beginning of April, we hired a new staff member. We uh, brought on Cole Forrest full-time as our new student minister, but because of everything the last few weeks, uh, he's still been stuck up in North Carolina, uh, doing things remotely, working hard, having weekly Zoom meetings with our students. Has already gotten a great start. I know he got a big welcoming committee through his neighborhood this week. That was awesome. Uh, thank you for those of you who participated in that. Uh, but this coming week, Cole and I will be recording a short interview together. So if you have any questions about Cole, about him, about his family, deepest, darkest secrets in his life, uh, things like that, future direction of our student ministry, again, feel free to send those to me, taylor at crosscommunity.org. We'll cover as many as we can. And you can look for that interview to air this coming Wednesday, uh, May 13th. So again, it's been so good uh, to worship with you. We miss you. We love you. We cannot wait to be with you together in person again. But from wherever you are, let's say together our banner verse from Psalm 45, 17, and then we'll sing together as we close. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Amen. Hmm. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen. Guys, we love you so much. Thank you for joining us today. And we'll see you next week.